0: In the RPW episode entitled, admit that the waters have grown, you better start swimming. I classified two categories of risk in the climate risk discussion, namely physical and transition. In this episode, we focus on transition risk. In its simplest form, transition risk covers the cost of heavy users or producers of fossil fuels to transition to renewable energy. Electricity, the companies in scope include no surprises here oil majors, utility companies, transport, heavy industry, aggregates, and politicians. The latter are the worst offenders, and I have them in this group based on the amount of nonsensical hot air they expel on this topic. Boris Johnson is the latest buffoon to get the urge to give us a lecture after flying to the United States. When a Zoom call would have done. I would say that BJ is still a long way behind Trudeau and Kerry. All, however, are in the shadow of the queen of climate alarmists. Jacinda, it's a matter of life and death. Harden. Mind you, even Jacinda was on the receiving end of a put down by an unimpressed Swedish teenager. Never work with animals or children. It is essential to appreciate there are several ways that a company can emit CO2. Scope one includes the carbon emission from their operations, such as, I don't know, coking up a furnace in a steel plant. Scope two are the indirect emissions from the utility providers of electricity and what heats their plants. Scope three, however, covers the emissions of suppliers measured by the unit of production. Scope 3 is the largest for Western manufacturers and the hardest to measure due to our complex and global supply chains that include transport. Volkswagen, as an example, has some 22,000 suppliers, many in China, which remain primarily powered by coal. Apart from sending snotograms to suppliers, demanding information um, on their carbon footprint, scope one and two intensity, a company can do little with the data they collect, thanks to the reluctance of the suppliers and their sub-suppliers to come, well, clean. The intellectual powerhouse, that is Extension Rebellion, points out that we have exported our carbon emissions to China, for once they are correct, as we have thanks to, well, Scope 3. The problem for Scope 3 is that if you add it in for a company, you are a double counting. The only solution is to bring all manufacturing back into the domestic market, closing out decades of cheap goods. I think that's a good outcome, giving back well-paid manufacturing goods to our deprived Northern counties instead of paying too much for three years of university Education. For each company in the high carbon footprint categories, we can measure to a, a really modest degree what are their costs per unit of production, emission during the use its use, and the effort to recycle. A typical Volkswagen consumes, apparently, by from their website, 5 tonnes of CO2 during production, 20 tonnes during its life and a couple of tons during recycling. What is noteworthy is that their vaulted E-whatever has a lower footprint than its diesel equivalent, but only after 125,000 kilometers of usage. The over-eulogizing of electric vehicles as eco-friendly is an excellent example of green work, greenwashing, leading to, well, problematic policies. Still, we have to start somewhere, preferably with the appropriate data to understand the pluses and minuses of this transition risk. Data leads to measurement, then monitoring, and who knows, good government policies. So what is transition risk? Well, the cost of transition comes in several sections. Time for a six pointer. Number one capital expenditure to create a product that produces net zero carbon even wind turbines struggle to do this after 20 years of production the decommission or stranding of assets is number two that were in well in current production three the abandoning of intellectual know-how plus the cost of relearning well, sometimes this may be a good thing. We don't know. Five, exposure of, or how can we call it, unpalatable industries to investor strikes, affecting their ability to fund themselves through debt. We see this as a consequence of the ESG, or Environmental, Social and Governance, movement. Five, additional cost of production due to the introduction or paying of a carbon tax, or litigation for non-compliance, or... A customer strike. And finally, because we all know there has to be a sixth, I know you're very excited, but this is the big one because it is, how can I say, timely and topical. Six, the ability for governments to make stupid policy decisions around climate change that are either ill-conceived or driven by hysterical ideology. For those in the UK sitting in a queue to fill one's car tank, the last one has now started to make some headlines. The the policy agenda to get rid of, as an example, gas fired heating is an interesting product of the transition models used by academia to advise governments. These models are called integrated assessment models, or IAMs, IAMs, I suppose, that interact with the pathway models that get all the headlines of climate doom. Groups such as, no surprise, Imperial, build these, these IMs to answer a heavily involved question. So here goes. Quote, so that we can stay below two degrees centigrade above pre-industrial levels, how much of a carbon allocation do we have so that we can emit each year before 2050. What are the optimal transition paths for an economy to get to net neutral paradigm by 2050 while using up the carbon allocation? The model looks at a simplified view of the world's economic flows and changes levers that create a transition path. Here are some examples of such levers. Number one. It is six again, I do apologize. Actually, I don't. Overall size of the oil and gas market. Two, expansion of population, meat consumption, and GDP per head. Three, change in transport mix between air, rail, car, and bicycles. Four speed of innovation for renewables, efficiency and capital expenditure or CapEx. Five, speed of migration of transport to electricity. And sixth, the evolution of a carbon tax to enforce migration. All of this is highly speculative and many use neural regression analysis recognising that changes feed back into the economy, affecting overall growth. For a manufacturer, the biggest threat embedded in transition risk is government stupidity, which suddenly makes policy changes that bring forward the transition say away from the internal combustion engine that puts considerable strain on the balance sheet of that company to comply. The worst offenders are those recent converts to the climate, the Church of Climate Alarmism, who find themselves hosting one of those conferences where everyone flies in to talk about how we must change our lifestyles. And I'm not going to mention Boris Johnson. Honest, the aims that have, uh, that are driving policy are as accurate as those of the pathway models. Only putting the two together amplifies the level of inaccuracies to the point that one might as well stick a wet finger in the air. It's very important to note this, I am saying we should have a crack, just not get wedded to the science again that has served us up cold sick over the last two years. Case in point, 2014, a team of academics received a substantial grant to build, and I kid you not a general regression neural network or GRNN and a feed-forward backpropagation FFBP models. These complex algorithms modelled the future generative power of solar panels and predicted that by 2100 solar would only meet 5% of power consumption demands. This prediction then feeds the IAMs that conclude the world will have to reduce consumption elsewhere to compensate for the lack of generative progress. Seven years after publishing, those clever clogs had to update their 5% by 2100 prediction by 70 years to 5% by 2030, thanks to Moore's law level of innovation in the cost of solar. In short, it collapsed. Academics prefer to suppress such positive stories about how innovation will power the transition and fall back on the assistance of lecturing us normies from the central command. Such watermelon behaviour is a shame as we we are all on this complex transition dance routine together. Anyone involved in any change programme in any company knows you need to celebrate small victories to keep people engaged and build resilience to address when we have the inevitable screw-ups along the way.